My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and delighted to be worshiping with you today. Let's just take a moment and pause. Let's collect ourselves, pull together our scattered senses so that we can focus on God's word. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, it is good to take a beat and a breath and to recognize, realize, and remember that you are in our midst. You dwell richly among us. You are companioning with us by your word this morning. And so would you in a very real way, communicate to each person here your truth for them this morning. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Find ourselves continuing our series in the book of Colossians. Find ourselves in Colossians chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 11 through 17. Uh, We've been in this section of scripture for a while now, uh, we're going to focus on verse 16 this morning. So Colossians 3, I'll be reading 11 through 17. Our focus will be on verse 16. This is God's word. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Question. Have you ever said something only later to regret it because you made a fool of yourself or someone else? hurt a relationship maybe beyond repair? Have you ever not said something only later to regret it? Someone heard something from someone else maybe they should have heard from you. Or maybe they didn't hear it at all. And because of it, they hurt themselves or someone else. And you think to yourself, why didn't I say something? And now it's too late. Think about a word that's spoken to you that you wish someone would never have spoken. 
because it's stuck. It's like a wound that won't heal. Think a word, think of a word that was spoken to you that made all the difference in the world. That put the wind in your sails. In a moment of pain and suffering, it was the word you needed to lift your head above your circumstances and it fixed it upon eternal things. Words are powerful, are they not? Holy cow. They can be the glue that binds a community together and spurs them on to ever-deepening relationships of trust and love. It can be the thing that spurs someone on to growth, maturity. Words can also be the atomic bomb that blows a community to smithereens. Our relationships are very important to God. And what Paul has been teaching us in this passage is one of the ways, one of the primary ways that God communicates to the world that he is a God of love and reconciliation and grace. One of the main ways he communicates that is through our relationships with one another. And so he's been telling this very diverse community of Greeks and Jews, barbarians, Scythians, the slave and free, that Christ is all and in all, and how to live together in such a way that communicates to the world the reconciling love of God. And he says, you're going to be a community that's going to be defined by a different way of relating, a different way of loving, a different quality of love, a different way of doing conflict. And today he's going to tell us that to listen to this community speak to one another it's going to be different. There's going to be a different quality to our speech, to our words. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The first thing he says is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A couple things about that sentence. It's the only time that the phrase word of Christ is used in the scriptures. And most scholars don't think that it refers to the Bible. Um, It only occurs here. And when the scriptures refer to the scriptures themselves, it usually says the word of God. And we need to remember that most of these people wouldn't have had Bibles. Maybe they would have had a copy of the Old Testament from their teacher, a couple letters of Paul, maybe some sayings of Jesus. Really what this means is the message about Jesus. In other words, let the gospel of Jesus... Everything you know about him, what he's taught and what he's accomplished, let it dwell among you richly. It's also important to recognize that the you here is plural. It's not dwell in you, individual Christian, but among you. And the in does not mean inside, like inside a bottle. It means among or with. And so I love our ESV translation, that's why we use it, but here the NIV trumps it because it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. 
It's important to note because if we're just to read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, we might think that what Paul is advocating for is more time in the scriptures, scripture memorization. And believe me, that's important and it's a prerequisite to what he's telling us to do. Paul is a fan of being in the Bible. He's a fan of letting it dwell in you personally, richly, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about getting the word inside of you. He's talking about drawing out of you what you know about Christ so it can dwell among the community through the words that we speak. Not getting the word of God inside of you, but getting the word that is hid inside of you out of you so that it can have an influence on our community. Let it dwell richly among you. It's an interesting mixture of metaphors, dwelling richly. First, to let it dwell. Dwelling is just personal. It's relational. It's about someone or something that makes their home with you, companions with you, does life with you. Let the message of Christ do life with you. And then the second metaphor is different. It's richly, which is a word that's used for wealth or lavishness, extravagance in the scripture. And so I just thought to myself today, what does it look like for someone to dwell with you richly or to live with you lavishly? And this is the only thing I thought of. I I thought, have you ever known a person who just enriches every interaction that they have? Every time they're at the gathering, the party or the table, the joy is heightened, the conversation is deepened, the experience is enriched. When you hear they're going to be there and then you find out they're not, you're so disappointed because you know that that evening is just not going to be as rich because of their absence. I think that's what it means to live with someone lavishly. Christ wants to live lavishly with us. He wants to companion with us. He wants to be a part of every moment of our day. He wants to enrich and deepen every one of our conversations. He wants to heighten the joy around our tables. He wants to deeply influence every interaction we have with one another. And what does his spirit use to accomplish this? The words of his people. When the message of Christ is on our lips, what it's saying is that there is a unique way in which Christ is dwelling with us by his spirit. His word, his spirit has a unique opportunity to influence us. Don't believe me? There's a parallel in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is what it says there. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, which is a great Bible word, but be filled with the Spirit. How do you be filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's a contrast between being influenced by wine, which makes you an idiot, 
and being influenced by Jesus, which makes you shine, which makes you righteous. And how does Jesus influence you? How does the Spirit get inside of you to begin to influence you? Through Spirit-inspired speech, by addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we speak the message of Christ to one another, Christ dwells lavishly with us. We create an environment where he's able to influence, enrich, and deepen every interaction. He goes on to say, teaching and admonishing one another. That this will sometimes take the form of sharing truth with one another, teaching. And then sometimes it means admonishing one another, helping one another to to put to death what is earthly uh, in us. But teaching, admonishing, such conversations apparently are to be a big part of the life of those who are called into the fellowship of Christian believers. So we better talk about them. On the one hand, we're supposed to teach one another. At its most basic level, teaching means telling people stuff they don't know. (laughs) And the implication of teaching one another is profound because it means that each of us if we have the message of Christ inside of us, has something to teach, has something to give. And also that each one of us, no matter how long we've been around the church, has something to learn. Both are important to remember. On the one hand, there's people around us who have a lot to learn. I may be one of those people. But it's important to our community to remember. It helps them be patient and gentle with those who are especially just learning the ways of Jesus for the first time. Because sometimes churches and small groups uh, begin to think when they hear, maybe they hear a comment and someone says something that's theologically incorrect. That happens a lot in communities that are alive with the Spirit because they're drawing people who don't know everything yet. And sometimes churches, individual, small groups, Sunday school classes get in their minds that people should know everything already. People should know how to pronounce all the Pauline letters. I promise you they don't. I remember there was a time in my life where I didn't know what the book of Genesis was. I promise you there was a time in my life as a new believer when I opened up the New Testament and I thought the book of Job was job. And I thought, this is great. There's a book in the Bible about how to do your job. It's very practical. And then you open it up and you're like, this is terrible. This is not about, this is bad advertising. There was a time when I thought the prophet Malachi was Malachi. And I need, there was a time when I didn't, when my life in, in terms of sexual ethics didn't align. When I didn't know, I needed a a group of people to be patient with me as you needed a group of people to be patient with you. As Christ's disciples needed people to be patient with them over years 
of time. They didn't get it. And Jesus was so patient. Jesus also needs us to be ready to share when the time's right, though, right? We are supposed to teach. We are to invest in those hungry for mentorship. You can teach in a Sunday school class. You can teach a preschooler about Jesus. But most of our teaching will be over coffee. And it won't look like a classroom, will it? It'll look like living a life together. I learn a lot about parenting from watching Isaac parent his kids. I learn a lot by living life and loving Jesus by just doing life with you all. So much of what we'll have to teach or share is just what we learned in our devotional that morning. One of the things that I pray when the Lord strikes me or what what I'm meditating on in the morning, I'm just, give me one opportunity to share this with someone else today. Let this enter my day verbally so that I can bless someone else. I almost have an expectation that what I learn in the morning is there for someone else in the afternoon. You should have that expectation too. We need to know that people are learning. We need to be ready to teach. And we also need to be humble enough to receive from other people. To open yourself up to the idea that maybe you have something to learn from somebody who's been down the road a little bit. And to always pray that we would have a teachable heart. And to understand that just because we may have some... Uh, something to teach someone in, in this area of life. In this area of life, maybe we're an immature child. Just because you know one thing doesn't mean you know all things. I was sitting with a dear person just this week who uh, set up an appointment with me to share with me something they had learned from God's Word. Kind of a new believer, reading the Scriptures for the first time. And this individual, when they were sharing this with me, mispronounced the Pauline letter that it was in. They didn't know how to to say that book of the Bible. And it would have been really easy for me to either laugh or scoff in my head or think, oh man, if they don't know how to say Galatians, then how do they... How do they, what do they have to teach me? But that would have, I would have missed out on a number of things. One, their hunger for God's word. Think about setting up an appointment with a pastor just to share with them the insight that they had had. And I would have missed the opportunity to learn. I was like, I have so much to learn from this person. We are to teach and to be taught by one another. We are to teach as those needing to be taught. Someone once beautifully defined evangelism as one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And I think the same could be said of our teaching in the church, in church life. That's what good teaching sounds like too. Well, if teaching is telling someone they, what they don't know, admonishing is reminding someone of what they know and aren't acting on. It is correction. In Hebrews, um, the author of Hebrews uses a metaphor to describe what this is like. He says, we are to spur one another on 
in love and good deeds. And he's talking about what a spur does to a horse. Why do horse riders hit their horses on the side with a spur? Well, it's ultimately to agitate the horse. It's to irritate the horse. It's because the horse is running at 60% and the spurs enable and empower uh, the horse to run at 100% with a kick. But here's the thing. The spurs are sharp. It's an irritant. It hurts. A sharp instrument that ultimately empowers. And what we're being told here is that there are many times within the Christian life where we need people to spur us on if we're going to run at full speed. We need people to sharply confront us, to hold us accountable, to hold our feet to the fire. And I'm just saying this is hard for us. It's hard for our community. We are so Nebraska nice. We do not like negative emotions. We do not like hard conversations. But we need to learn this way of love. The scriptures say an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Proverbs says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy just keeps the vibe sweet all the time, even when it shouldn't be. (laughs) And so how do we help one another in this? Well, I think the mark of a true Christian relationship is to actually give your brothers and sisters permission. It's to say in a small group or to the people who know you really well, I don't always know what's best for me. And there are things that I struggle with deeply. There are addictions and habits and patterns in my life. And if you see me struggling with that, I give you permission to spur me on to love and good deeds so that I can run at my full potential. Admonishing one another. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, teaching and admonishing can go terribly wrong. We have all been taught by someone who has made us feel small. We have all been corrected by someone, and it was so harsh and unhelpful. And so Paul knows this. And so he qualifies this needed exhortation with three important truths. Christ's words should dwell among us richly, but those words need to be clothed in Christ's character, guided by wisdom, and carried in song. Clothed in Christ's character, guided by wisdom, carried in song, a word about each. First, clothed in the character of Christ. We need to remember how how Paul got to this verse. He talks about putting on and taking off, taking off harsh language, anger, malice, putting on love, putting on humility, putting on compassion. Whatever is to be said is to be clothed in the character of Christ, in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Some of us like to teach and correct way too much. And what Paul is saying is, 
try to be as faithful to the Ten Commands that precede this one before you speak the word, our words must always be clothed, must be clothed in the character of Christ. Second, they must be guided by wisdom. He says to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And there he's just bringing the entire weight of the Old Testament wisdom tradition to bear on this moment. If there was an asterisk there with a footnote, it would just see, read all of Proverbs. Learn wisdom and only then speak. And so we could do a whole, we could do a whole series about what it means to speak in wisdom, but I'll just mention one thing that's mentioned often in Proverbs itself, which is to know when to shut up. Wisdom listens. The wise are quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Will you say that with me? Quick to listen, slow to speak. A wise person will speak mostly from their silences, not from their sentences. Silences can speak as loud as words. Or we might say it like this, to let Christ dwell, it might mean speaking fewer words so that they can be fuller words. And sometimes to let Christ dwell, we need to take a moment to see if what we are saying is really what Christ wants us to say. Often it means taking the holy pause and praying to ensure that it's Christ's word that is to be heard. I just think about all the times, this, so I do this in my small group. My small group is, they are super quiet. And the Lord has put me there so that I learn patience and how to deal with silence. And I don't like silence. So I fill the silence with my own speech. But I've just learned that if I'm quiet, other people will speak. And sometimes when we're quiet, it finally allows Christ to speak and not our reactionary heart. Sometimes we need to pause and be quiet. Clothe it with the character of Christ. Learn biblical wisdom. And then finally, let your words be carried in song. Notice that? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And again, our translation kind of masks the sense of the Hebrew. Really what it's saying is that your teaching and admonishing would be by song. Or in song. The NIV gets it right again. Game, set, match, I guess, on that translation. But the implication here is that teaching and admonishing would be primarily happening through our singing. What does that even mean? Does it mean like it's a musical? We're just breaking out in song every once in a while? And I don't know. But what it is saying is that one, that songs teach. And the music that we sing together should teach. Um, but, but songs communicate truth in a memorable way. People don't leave this service singing my sermons. They leave singing hymns. When you go to the memory unit to visit a dear sister in Christ, 
I promise you it's not the words of a sermon that she still remembers. But it's probably Rock of Ages. That's probably locked down in there somewhere. Songs teach. And here's the thing about songs. They very rarely get lost in the theological minutiae. They're very rarely just a part of a particular theological tradition. Songs focus on the main things. Who God is, what he's done. And I think part of what it means to have our truth be carried in songs is, would what I'm saying be fit, would it fit into the lyrics of a song? Does it focus on the main things? Songs can teach, but can they admonish? Well, I think they can. Because what our hearts need most of all is hope. Songs correct us in moments of cynicism. They correct our hearts when they're tempted to despair. They correct us by taking our attention off of our circumstances and directing them on eternal things and heavenly truth. The vast majority of our correction, I think, should be applying the balm of faith to the wounds of unbelief. The balm of the gospel to a guilt-ridden soul to correct discouragement with an encouraging word from the Psalms. Psalms teach, they admonish, and they inspire. Music can uphold our spirits in a way that prose can't. Have you ever come to worship and just been uplifted by a song? It's what we do when we come together and we, we're corporately teaching one another and admonishing one another with the message of Christ through our singing. Most people talk to me, when they talk to me about the church, they don't talk to me about what I do. They talk to me about the worship or that they hear you singing. I'm so glad that we have a congregation that sometimes you can hear one another singing. It brings people to faith to hear one another sing. Every time we sing a song that celebrates the cross and celebrates our Savior, we all not only know him, but we make him known. We call his spirit forth, and he dwells among us richly. And we sing these songs not just in corporate worship, but at the graveside and in the hospital room. When all the lights go out, singing, sharing poetry, Singing has a way of lifting the hearts in a way that other speech does not. So there's this scene in the Shawshank Redemption. I'm talking about the book, not the film at this point. Where Andy Dufresne, they're in prison, right? And Andy says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? And Red responds, Well, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Doesn't make much sense in here, in prison. And Andy says, here, here is where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. And Red says, forget what? And Andy says, referring to prison, forget that there are places in this world that aren't made of stone. And there is something inside that they can't get to. 
and that they can't touch that's yours. And Red says, what are you talking about? And Andy says, hope. We are called to teach and admonish. But most of all, we're called to inspire with hope. To remind ourselves of the hope that's ours in the gospel. I had an experience last week. I received two text messages. I received them back to back. Let me tell you about them. One was a brother in Christ requesting a meeting to give me the opportunity to reconcile with him because of something I had thoughtlessly done. This was in response to a sermon that I had preached a couple of weeks back about letting the peace of Christ rule or umpire in your heart. When I first got the text message, I wish I wouldn't have preached that sermon. And one can imagine how my heart sank. What had I done? I didn't know. Second text message. Got it right afterwards. Different person. And it simply said this. May he comfort you with his love. I want to remind you he rejoices over you with singing. Maybe musicals, breaking, people breaking out into song at random moments, isn't so silly after all. Imagine that. He is so delighted with you that he sings. The work you are doing is inspiring to watch because of your humility and honesty about your struggles, not in spite of it. Beautiful, right? Both of those messages were sacred speech. Both were risky by the ones who sent them. Both were holy to me. But I want you to consider how they work together. In other words, how my own heart was bolstered and kept by the second, and it allowed me to respond to the first, not from a place of pain, but as a dearly loved child of God. And that is something of what I think Paul is getting at in this passage. A community that through its language that it's using with one another is consistently driving people, urging people on in obedience, even as it upholds and inspires one another with worship and song and praise. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Just a couple of words of application and then we're done. I want to to speak to some people who, who talk a lot, but Christ isn't always on their lips. And so we can... And I want to be careful here because if you're a small group and you're always given advice, but it's just your advice, like it has nothing to do with the gospel or Jesus, or you're just always telling your own story. And we want our lives together to be filled with all of our lives and all kinds of interactions. But if Christ is never on your lips, if it's never about Jesus or the gospel, you just... What we're supposed to let dwell richly among us is the message of Christ. Is Christ's name ever on your lips? In a conversation with another brother or sister? 
There are others of us who speak a lot, but we don't speak with wisdom. We don't listen. And if we, if we were honest with ourselves, we look at our past relationships. We've been at 18 churches. We've broken relationships. There's just broken, burnt bridges everywhere. And at that point, it might be like, I need to learn wisdom. I need to be more wise with my speech. I need to speak less. But I think with most of us, we need to speak more. We need to feel empowered to bring Christ out of our hearts, to teach, correct, inspire, or maybe share Christ with someone for the first time. Here's my application points. This coming week, I want you to take one to three opportunities when each of you want to say something really badly, but don't say it. And then think about how that feels. <laughs> I've done this this week. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, but take that moment to just pray and see if maybe fewer but fuller words. So one to three opportunities to not speak when you would have. And then I want you to pray each day for one to three opportunities to share, to bring the name of Christ to your lips, to share it with someone else. What Paul's talking about here is our just our community. It's most likely just what Christ has been teaching you lately. So in my morning devotional, every day I'm just going to say, Lord, give me one to three times to try to bring this out to somebody, what you're teaching me. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Would you dwell among us richly by our words? Our speech matters. It can blow up relationships. It can be the glue that holds everything together. And Lord, thank you that for every careless word we've ever spoken, holy cow, all the hurt that we've caused, all the hurt I've caused, Lord, I thought about how much I get to speak and how much I make a mess of things as a result of it this week. And you forgive us. You are the perfect word. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness, your love, and your grace. You let us start fresh this moment with our words, with our speech. And Lord, I pray that as a community that your word, your presence would deeply influence us because you're present with us through the the words that we speak to one another. Dwell among us richly, Lord. We give you praise and thanks.